You've stopped in at the guidepost. Brought to you by the American Saltwater Guides Association. Stock up on gear, grab a coffee at the counter, and get ready to hear incredible fish stories from the best captains on the East Coast and thought-provoking conversations with stakeholders and policymakers working to protect these fisheries. This podcast is presented by Costa Sunglasses. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Guidepost. I am here with our executive director, Willie Goldsmith. Willie, how are you doing today, buddy? I am doing great, Tony. How are you? I am. Just couldn't be better. Two days after my second vaccination, actually, this is the third day, and I can actually sit in a chair and Coming have a back conversation. To life, I like it. Yeah, well, I'm you know I'm not a hundred percent there, so I'm I'm just saying this is a uh, a disclaimer. I'm really not I'm not responsible for what I say tonight. So that <laughs> brings us to our special guest, and um, I'm going to tell you all a little bit about him. He's Captain Tom Roller. Fishes mostly out of Beaufort, North Carolina but does a zillion things, uh, you know, catches a lot of different species, fishes a lot of different ways. Um, and I got to tell you, you know, has just been like a dream, like the best possible board member. If we could make a mold, um, Tom is really, is really going to be a big chunk of what that mold would be. He's a great fisherman. He's engaged. He, knows policy i mean you'd be really hard pressed for somebody who knows policy federal state regional uh i'm not ashamed to admit willie and i have seen something come up on the south atlantic council and we look at each other and say we need to talk to tom about this because you know we focus so much on the mid-atlantic and new england you can't see everything and you know whatever tom says that's it that's we just trust it so you know when you when you mush all that up together and this guy's your board member, and he's volunteering time, and he's doing all sorts of stuff for you. Uh, I just can't say enough good things about Tom and my interactions with him. And, and like I said before, we if I turned over every stone in the great state of North Carolina, there is no way that I could find a, a, a better, more complete, honest, forthright, and a better fisherman than Captain Tom Roller. So with that, how you doing, Tom? I'm doing good, guys. Thanks so much for having me. All right, buddy. So listen. And I feel pretty good about myself. <laughs> do you, well, that's, I do that just before I start tearing people down, man. So it's just, it's a very basic tactic. Yeah, get used to it. You'll see through it soon enough, Tom. Yeah, it's coming, um, man. Give me like 10 minutes. <laughs> hey, Willie, you fished with Tom a while back. And I remember you were amazed at the variety and just what a fishery it was. Because as you, as you are self-proclaimed snobby New Englander, Sometimes you just bypass North Carolina on the way to Florida. So why don't you tell us, like, I think you, I think you fished one day with him. What was that day like? I actually was able to be out a couple days with Tom last okay, summer. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I was down there. And, you know, again, as a snobby New Englander, self-proclaimed and also proclaimed by you. So thank you for that. Um, you know, we think of fishing North Carolina. We think Oregon Inlet. We think Hatteras. You know, we, we kind of think that, that chunk of the Outer Banks. And then my mind kind of skips down the coast. I, I don't really spend as much time thinking about Moorhead City, Beaufort, Wilmington, sort of those areas further south in North Carolina where, where Tom is. Uh, it's an incredible area where he fishes, and he can obviously tell us a lot more, and he will. But he's been running Water Dog Guide Service for, what, 19 years, Tom? Is that right? 
Yeah. So, so coming up on 20 years and, you know, he's down in this really, um, this super dynamic area where he just has this, this wonderful inshore fishery for, for redfish and speckled trout and then getting offshore in that area. Um, you know, all sorts of artificial reefs and, and, and natural structure on the bottom where he's got, you know, pelagics, wahoo and dolphin. He's got king mackerel. Um, he's got all sorts of bottom species grouper and um, Willie, is that, you know, this, is that why yeah. Tom just bought a 28 contender? I think he's trying God, to get. I think that. Way, I think that. Yeah. I think that may have played a role, like the species list that you just gave. Because I got to tell you, if I if I texted Tom one more time and he was screaming about the wind in Beaufort uh, and not being able to get out because he knew there was a hot bite somewhere, uh, well, it finally broke him, folks, and he got a twenty eight contender. How stoked! When do you pick that up, Tom? How stoked are you for that? Uh, hopefully later in the summer. You know, obviously supply chain issues are you know impacting boat deliveries. I'm hoping to have it, you know, by the end of the summer. But you know, my my Parker, my 25 Parker does pretty good currently. I mean, that's an ideal boat. That's a that's your North Carolina. You know what I mean? That's that is tried and true, the Parker. But um, you know, as as our fearless president says, if it ain't a contender, it's just a pretender. So. <laughs> Well, welcome to the club, man. I'm stoked well, for you to I'm, take the liver. I'm getting older. You know, I'm 40 years old now, and my back's hurting. I need some more dead rise. Uh, <laughs> I just need the ride. Up. I'm I'm, fi- I'm almost 50. That's why I got mine six years ago. So, so, um, so, Tom, you know, I think just, you know, as a kind of a multi-species junk, you know, somebody who likes to fish for everything. I mean, you've got, you know, you, you, you've got Cape Lookout there, obviously, which is this incredibly dynamic area. And there's just so much to get excited about in that region. And I'm wondering if you can just, you know, tell us a little bit about kind of how you how you landed there, right? How you landed in, in, in Beaufort in the first place. I don't think you're a uh, a North Carolinian native, you know, telling us a bit about, well, well, I, about I, I, how I ended up there. Well, I actually, I kind of am, right? So I moved around a lot as a kid, but we have a long family history here. So I grew up here um, in Carter County. Um, not my whole childhood, but a fair amount of it. And it was this place that was very magical to me because it's a very rural out of the way place. I mean, you know, when you start getting into the central coast area, um, the outer banks are pretty close to the DC area, Virginia, Richmond, you know, if you want to come to Moorhead Beaufort, it's a destination. Um, and you know, 20 years ago, it really wasn't discovered. Now it's discovered. Um, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's definitely getting, getting more crowded. Right. So it was a place where I always wanted to come back to. And after college and, you know, my, my story really isn't that interesting. I was just a rabid fisherman and outdoorsman my whole life. And I just wanted something different out of life, like a lot of other fishing guides do. We just want to live in a particular place. We want to find a way to be outside every day. And that's what drove me back here, right? And what kept me here is, is obviously how special and dynamic this fishery is and how, I'm not going to say it's overlooked, but I don't think people really understand how expansive this fishery is right and i mean we can go into that whenever you want to but when we get all the northern species and we get all the southern species it it feels like new england sometimes in the winter and it or in the fall and it feels like florida in the summer so i mean i got water temperature ranges for that go from 35 to 90 degrees depending depending on the year so which is you know which is pretty common and there and there's enough to choose from tom that you've got two boats right so you're kind of running two different kinds of you know two different kinds of trips you know we talked about the parker but you've you've got a huge you know shallow water fishery there too to kind of get into you know get in those reds and specks and all that stuff too right yeah so our fishery here i mean if you look at a lot of the career guides full-time guides in my area it's a two-boat fishery 
um, our, est- our, 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 our estuarine areas, our sounds are huge. They're very, very shallow. Um, you just can't do a lot of this with a big center console, right? So, I mean, we've got one to two inch, one to two foot flats for as far as the eye can see from, you know, almost from behind Oregon Inlet to the Noose River to the Pamlico Sound, Core Sound, Rye Fish, um, Bogue Sound and down to Wilmington. We have just expansive inshore areas. You really need shallow water boats. So we, we have a developing, you know, part of uh, flat skiff culture. And I run a kind of a unique uh, 19 foot pathfinder that they only made for a few years that I use primarily for my, my redfish fishery, as well as we call them red drum in North Carolina, just to be clear. Um, but I use redfish people seem to understand that a little bit better, but you know, uh, we also have a lot of things, you know, we have a lot of speckled trout. We have a great, and we had, we had to do to an extent, a good inshore flounder fishery. And, you know, we, we see a lot of diversity from, you know, small Jack Caval to medium sized Jack Caval, bluefish, Spanish mackerel, all in our estuarine sounds. So sheep's head, black drum, all those fish. So. so with everything that you can do, Tom, you know, the variety down there, what would you say to, uh, you know, the, the person who kind of calls you on the phone and says, Hey, you know, I've got, I've got, I can either come in the fall or the spring and you know, which one do you recommend? And if somebody just called you and said, look, man, I just want to fish with you. What's the, what do you think the best fishery you got is I want to go during that season and I want to book a day with you that day and I'll just figure it out. Well, we have, what would you tell them? That's a hard question to answer because we have a lot of best fisheries. I always, people ask me that a lot of, a lot actually. And what I say to them is, well, how do you want to fish? Are you fly fishermen? Right. That's a huge part of my business. I say, are you light tackle fishermen? Do you have a particular species in mind? I'm going to say, if you want to fish in the backwaters, I'm going to say, Hey, my June and July shallow water month for redfish and, and some big speckled trout is fantastic. Why don't you come on one of these sets of really good, good ties? I'm going to say, if you, if you, if you, if you want to fish the fall and you want to do a diverse fishery, you know, come fish false albacore with me at, at uh, 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 you know, cause the, the this area is famous for the Harper's Island or Cape Lookout false albacore fishery. All of us in the boat at Moorhead, Harper's Island, all the guides, we all fish the same spots, right? It just depends on where you leave from. Um, we fish in the, um, um, you, you, so we all fish the same areas. So, you know, that fishery is really, really famous. And there's also a lot of diversity in the fall, Spanish mackerel to, um, you know, to our migrating trout and drum and everything else in the fall, right? So. So what's your favorite? <laughs> i mean you never answer right like i just let you go on for a while we didn't even so, talk about the nearshore fisheries right so dude um, i'm just saying like if you could okay all right, all right let me let me phrase this uh, clearly i am not doing a good job uh, answering the asking the questions so you're in your home order somebody you know the good lord sits down and stands stands on the hood of your truck and says you got one day. What are you gonna fish for around here? Like any season, any anything. What what gets your heart just makes you dizzy when you just have like that that lights out day on a species. I'm still gonna answer your. I'm still gonna. Oh, we already heard all that, Tom. No, no. So I'm gonna say I have three fisheries that I really like. Right. I think my in this area, North Carolina. I think my backwater red drum and diversity particularly if you're like a light tackle spin angler and you like to throw top water plugs i think my redfish fishery is fantastic right um i think our fall our, our fall diversity near shore fishery like our false albacore spanish bluefish all that sort of stuff is out of this world 
my personal fishery. It's not a one I guide a lot. I actually guide it a fair amount, but it's not one of my hallmark. Is our offshore grouper snapper complex, which is very similar to Florida, is world class. You know, we've got, um, you can't get out every day because our, our waters are, you know, rougher than some areas of the coast. But our bottom fish for things like grouper, you know, snappers, black sea bass, triggerfish, amberjack are, are, are unbelievable. So, so um, you can jig. I know Willie got, I, I got plenty of pictures from Willie that day jigging. You can, of course, drop bait for them, mm-hmm. but it's a dynamic fishery and, and it's not crazy deep water. So like no. a lot of times around here, we're fishing crazy deep water for, and, and we don't get most of those species. So Willie, what were the, how deep were the wrecks you were fishing on? Oh God, we weren't in deep at all. I think we were in like, what, 60 to 70 feet, Tom, and I was yeah, out with yeah, you. We were at 70 feet where we were. And you caught what? Three species of flounder. You caught grouper. Macros. Reds, black sea bass, bluefish, right. sand tiger sharks. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I about that. that wasn't. Uh, yeah, no, the, the full compliment. It's a pretty, pretty incredible. And as you've said, you know, it's like you catch black sea bass and gag grouper side by side. You don't, you know, or you know, or with summer flounder, right? You don't, you don't see those combos in very many places along the coast. It's pretty neat to have everything kind of mixed together. You know, and we're we're forty miles from the continental shelf by now. You know, we have some really famous marlin tournaments here. So you go 40 miles offshore and you're at the break and you're catching wahoo. And excellent mahi-mahi fishery, excellent billfish fishery. Um, and, and that's short, man. I mean, that is short, short compared yeah. to where we run. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, you know, inside of that, we have a gradual drop-off from, you know, it's pretty quickly you go to 50, 60 foot. And then after that, it's, you know, depending on which direction, you know, people get pretty technical on this. But, you know, if you're going south or, or southeast out of the inlet, it takes about 40 miles to about 200 plus feet, right? But inside that range, you have all this uh, 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 submerged ice age bedrock, which are what we call our live bottom fisheries. And that's going to hold all these, you know, uh, uh, various species like the Cooper Snapper Complex and Amberjack. We, got, we have also an outstanding Amberjack fishery. I do a lot of fly fishing for them on top waters, so, which is pretty, pretty spectacular. You work them up to the surface on live chum? or Sometimes, yeah, we'll, we'll chum them up. But a lot of the wrecks, you can just throw poppers and they'll come up and chase them. Just oh my god on, it depends on how good the year is right some years i never even think about bringing live jump apparently right now i got a good report today that they the amberjacks are firing off pretty good so i'm looking forward to looking oh forward my to lord so tom you know as you know i'm a multi-species guy and uh, i'm a little disappointed that you didn't mention the other world-class fishery that you have inshore uh which of course is the lizard fish fishery and i'm hoping you can tell oh, us a bit more <laughs> about uh, about what goes on on the in the shallow water there yeah so uh, lizard fish is uh, our state fish uh, our <laughs> i should say anyway so we seem to have more of them every year it's, it's it's kind of incredible um they're a standard negative one on my boat we catch them on every way catch them on bait lures topwater plugs fly fishing so some i couldn't believe how explosive they were on surface feeds like you know you're walking a spook or something and one just it's like a eight inch lizard fish and it like blows a thing out of the water it's pretty special. last year was a good there was a good year class of uh, lizard fish last year in particular so i think when you were here you, you experienced the better of it let me put it i was well you know when you when i'm on the boat you have to kind of fish to the lowest common denominator so i was you know i'm always <laughs> no grateful for some lizard fish around no comment so tom you know one other thing you you had mentioned you know all of us and talking about the you know the the albi fishery um yes there are boats around there but thinking about what happens at other parts of the coast it isn't that crowded i mean that was my impression that you know for whatever reason it doesn't get that same amount of pressure as other areas of the coast is that right or is that just when i was there in terms of you know the amount of folks who kind of do the the model business that you have 
I would say that, you know, you were, you were here. I can't remember exactly when it was, but it wasn't super crowded. It can get, it's obviously gets a lot more crowded than that. Um, I have, I have fished up and down the East coast. I fished the Cape. I fished Montauk. Um, I will say that the Wednesdays I fish at Montauk were like the busiest Saturdays I've ever had down here. Um, and just keep in mind, we're not near a major population base. We're currently three hours from Raleigh. Um, you know, we do have New Bern up the road, but that's a small town. Um, we're two and a half hours from Wilmington. So you have to want to come here. So you're never just going to have that big influx of people. Um, but it is getting more crowded. I mean, it's, it's, it's a growing and popular area. Beaufort, Beaufort is a place to be. I mean, real estate is exploding. Water, water access is becoming an issue to some degree. We have great ramps here, but if, you know, if you want to keep a boat in the water and stuff, it's getting more and more difficult to do so. Um, it's still a lot easier than if you live up in the Northeast or, or Florida, but, um, does that make sense how I'm explaining it? But yeah, I, I would say it's just, it has to do more with where we are, right? As much as anything. So, I mean, if you're going to be fishing closer to Charleston, South Carolina, Wilmington, North Carolina, or New York City, you're just going to have a lot more people just in general. So, um, so Tom, just, you, we bounced around this a little bit. Um, and I think you've given kind of like a smattering. But like real quick, like machine gun, what's your season? So, um you know, you can fish year round here. Um, I usually, I'm usually, <laughs> I usually take, you know, the winter off to do some other stuff. Um, like a lot of guys, you know, when you work 90 hours a week for eight, nine months, you know, you're pretty, or 10 months, you're pretty burned out for a couple months. But um, my fishery usually starts in March in shore, uh, red drum, speckled trout. Um, we get a pretty good Atlantic Bonito run here in, um, in, 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 in the southeastern and central part of North Carolina. And they kind of bypass the Hatteras area for making their way up off in of New York and whatnot, but we get a really good run of them most years. Um, so it's kind of unique to be able to catch those guys. Um, and while you can do a lot of other stuff in April and May, um, I, what I do personally, it's something I've been doing for 20 years. I pick up shop, I go to Weldon, North Carolina, and I fish the Roanoke River, the Albemarle Sound strike bass spawning run. Um, it's, it's a tremendous fishery. It's extremely important to the state of North Carolina. It's also extremely important to a lot of the coastal guides because fishing that river, you may have 30, 40 guides fishing there. Um, so that's what I do typically between approximately April 20th and May 15th. I just got back recently from that. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a grind. Um, once you come back here, you know, you're, 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 you know, Hemingway said anyone can be a fisherman in May. And I, I believe that's absolutely true. I mean, May is just one of the best, uh, fisheries but one of the best fisheries up and down the coast. So here in May, I mean, we've got our Spanish mackerel coming in. We've got king mackerel coming in from offshore. You've got our grouper season opens up. So you've got excellent bottom fishing. Um, our amberjacks will start coming in closer to the wrecks and concentrating. Um, you know, right now we're, we're whaling. I did I said this day, we're whaling on Spanish mackerel right now. It's one of our, you know, cornerstone species. Um, our red drum, uh, our shallow water red drum and speckled trout fishery will start firing off right about now. Um, and, and we typically have a pretty good cobia run. It's much better out of Hatteras, but down here we were pretty well known for it. Not going to lie, I'm a little bit worried about cobia. We really haven't had much of a fishery for the last three, four years. Um, it's a fish I'm really concerned about. Um, I hope other people are as well. Um, so, you know, that was a big fishery for us. And once you get into June, that's, you know, it's, well, I should say May is a great offshore month for Mahi Mahi. And once you get into June, it's just all of the above. You know, it just depends on what you want to target. We got, the killer shark fishery all summer. If you want to catch black tip spinners or, you know, you just want to take the kids out and pull on something, you know, we got all our offshore reef fish, all our inshore stuff. I mean, there's a, there's, there's so many things to do. It's hard to focus on anything, you know? And, you know, when we talk about, you know, fishing for red drum in the backwaters, I mean, heck man, you can target them like 20 different ways from bait to fly fishing. Um, 
you know, once you get into the fall, there's, there's, uh, once you start getting into August, you start seeing a big, you know, migration of bait. And so that's when we're seeing all sorts of, um, you know, that's when you get all, you go out in the ocean, you don't know what you're going to get. Big ladyfish and jacks and Spanish and bluefish and king mackerel all mixed up together, right? Um, once you, you know, and then once you get into the fall, that's when everything opens up. We're also really famous. It's a fish I participate in a little bit. We have a, a big run of big red drum up into the Neuse River, Pamlico Sound. Um, it's a very popular fishery. Guys catch them on popping corks as well as bait fishing. Um, but, you know, down here, my inshore fishery is just amazing in September. It's a forgotten month to be done with hurricanes. And then once you get to October, November, it's, you know, just killer offshore, killer bottom fishing. You've got our albacore fishery. You've got, you know, our Spanish mackerel are here in huge numbers typically. Our king mackerel fishery is really famous. I mean, there's a whole bunch. And, and, and of course, that's when the inshore fishery is just our, our speckled trout fishery is just absolutely world class that time. You're most years, not every year, but um, depending on, you know, if we've had any freezes in recent years or whatnot, they're pretty volatile in the population levels. Um, but, you know, and then November, we're famous for albacore king mackerel. We have uh, a lot of bluefin tuna come close, but it's mostly commercial fishery. Um, I know I talk fast. I'm going over this, but you know that's it's kind of my season in a nutshell. And you know, I could again, I could sit there and spread that out over a 30 minute period. We could, you know, talk about each one, you know, probably for 30 minutes. No, we like the rapid fire, Tom. And of course, you know, in addition to lizard fish, lady fish are up there as well in terms of, you know, what's that? I forgot lizard fish. My bad. They're, they're, yeah, it's okay. Around. No, it's okay. I mean, ladyfish are almost as dumb as lizard fish. So for me, both of those species kind of go hand in hand. So it's 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 good to know that those are both available. Well, the ladyfish um, we catch here are like two feet long, and they dump your reels. So they're, they're there. You go. I'll take. Did them. he just Sounds say something good. bad bad about ladyfish? Ladyfish are oh, awesome. You got like a two I, foot ladyfish. Come on, listen. On, I am the defender like of all weight? the species. I am the defender of all the species nobody nobody cares about. So you know so what? Listen, I'm glad I gotta to tell, hear about I gotta the tell a funny story. Fish. I got to tell a funny story real quick about friggin' ladyfish. So when Tina and I, this take two seconds. It's crazy. It just happened like just happened a couple of weeks ago. So Tina and I get married three days before 9/11. All right, we're supposed to go to Hawaii for two weeks. We don't go to Hawaii for two weeks, right? No planes flying, no nothing. So we're like, you know man we got this time off like let's just go do something so we, you know we were we were every you know everything was on the table what we were gonna go do and uh she said let's go let's drive to florida you know let's see if we can get a place for airbnb and everything we ended up renting a condo in destin florida so i just took every piece of fishing equipment i had not even gonna lie drove to florida because the planes weren't flying you know and and she was she was good the whole time. Let me fish my ass off. So we took a guided trip and caught everything, just kind of like you're saying, like jacks, Spanish. Caught a couple flounder, caught redfish, caught speckled trout, and um, and there's just a huge school of ladyfish feeding on glass minnows. And uh, and I just I was like, man, I want to catch it. Like I don't care. It's just one after another after another. And I go to make a cast, and I, I slipped off the boat. And I had enough time on skiffs to know, like, you don't try to save it if you know you're going to go. So I just slip off the boat. And I kind of jumped a little, too. So I'm standing there in the water. It's not very deep. Three feet deep. Two and a half feet deep. And I'm kind of standing there. And and uh, and I was kind of laughing. And the guy, big guy comes over to me. And he grabs, my, uh, he grabs my arm. He's like, come on back up. Put my hand on the boat. And he just his eyes got this big and he just panicked just panicked and i'm scrambling she's get on get on, get on, get on. so i was going freaking like 400 pound bull shark 
was coming at me like like just beeline pecks out fins up must have been feeding on the ladyfish wanted to see what it was crazy story about all this i've been friends with the guy i lost touch with the guy i've been friends with the guy on facebook for five years and he was talking and on a thread and he's like hey did i take you lady did i take? did you catch lady fish oh uh, yeah man that was me and he's like that, that was 20 years ago man you almost got eaten i tell people that story all the time and i was like holy shit it's you so anyway that's my lady fish. that's the last time i caught a lady fish you can't ever say anything bad about it. they hold a special place in my heart Except so, they almost got you eaten, but besides that, they're great. That was only once. The other time I was, it was probably that was a closer call. So this, it's, it still ranks two in my life of almost getting eaten. Um, so, you know, talk about like switch gears for a second. See, I like I do this policy stuff, so I'm cool with everybody hating me. I don't, I don't gauge my worth on other people's opinions. If I did, I probably would have jumped off a bridge already. Um, but I think, you know, I think Tom has been involved in policy and he takes these really, really, uh, you know, well-formed policy positions, well thought out, looked at all the stuff, really advocates a lot for the fish instead of what would be better if his business needed this. And I think that's one of the things that attracted us to Tom, but that comes with a price. And I told Willie before we hired him, I said, there's like a mantle of leadership and everyone you see is going to think you're, they're better at you than their job. Then they can do the job better. And everyone's going to point out every teeny tiny little mistake you make. And that's kind of what leadership that's, that's part of the package. So I know Tom, you have stayed strong on all your conservation stuff over the years. And how tough has that been for you? I know you've, uh, I know you've definitely taken that leadership role in North Carolina and paid for it. Yeah. Um, and let me just add as a disclaimer, given, you know, some of the positions I'm on is that any opinion I give on fisheries is my opinion and my opinion alone. It doesn't represent anybody else but mine. So we should be clear there. Um, uh, did you, did you get that counsel? Okay. Yeah, we got that. <laughs> Keep going. You know, when you talk about, you know, my involvement in North Carolina, you know, we can get into that a little bit further. That'll make a little bit no, I'm just talking about, I'm talking about your involvement in policy so, in general and the crap you take because you chose to stand up for the research. So, you know, let's, let's just say, this is how you found me, right? Because, you know, you, let's be honest, like, you, you know, Middle Atlantic Northeast is a little bit more connected. And I, I found you guys through all my advocacy work, right? Um, I've been involved with it since I started my business. It's something that drives me, it pushes me every day because I know I'm on the right side of history, right? And if nobody stands up for these conservation issues, there's somebody else there on the other side doing the opposite, right? I, I, I leave with one mantra is that healthy fishermen, healthy fisheries take care of their fishermen, right? And the other mantra is if you're taking, if you're not taking flack, you're not close to the target, right? I take a lot of flack all the time. Um, you know, I volunteer extensively. I don't get paid for it. I sit on advisory panels. Um, I'm a commissioner. On, I'm appointed by my governor to our state fisheries and Man fisheries management commission, which is a huge honor. Um, and I, it's been, it's a huge drag on me professionally, right? It, it takes a lot of money out of my pocket because I'm not getting paid for most of the stuff. But it's, it's really difficult just because when you're doing this stuff, it's not just, I'm trying to 
gather my words here to say this as nicely as possible. But when you start getting involved in controversial fisheries, you expect to take flack from certain levels, right? You're going to get flack from certain political, you know, from, from kind of the political establishment. I hate to use that term, but, you know, people who are best at the status quo, you're going to take flack from elements of the commercial industry. You're going to take elements from, you know, that kind of harvest more charter boat fishery. But what has been most disappointing to me was the flack I've taken from the kind of the light tackle and fly guides, some of them in my, you know, professionally, because there's also a lot of people out there who don't get involved in these issues and they're just looking for any little thing to stab you with, right? They just say, well, well, he's in, you know, he's getting all involved in that policy stuff, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they use that as a way to kind of bring you down to bring their business up. And that's been a real, that's been the most disappointing thing for me. Because so, you know, Tom, this isn't the same thing, but I, I told Willie and Willie got to experience this firsthand a month ago or maybe a little bit before that. He's actually gotten to experience it firsthand like three or four times since he started. I told Willie, it's like I, I call it the marathon syndrome and I totally made that up. And it's if you won the world's record, if you set the world's record in the marathon and as you're breaking the finish line, some asshole would say, look, he had his shoe untied. There's always that, that asshole, right? Yeah. And and you're just like, you know, you're sitting there and you're like, that guy just broke the friggin' world's record for the merit. Like, what? Are you, what? And and that's that's kind of the leadership thing that I was I was coming across. Will, <laughs> I'm not even going to get into what poor Willie has to deal with, but he's seen it. And, you know, you start to shrug it off. Do you agree with me? Like, after a while, you're just like, like if a friend of mine... If someone I respect comes up to me and says, hey, that was wrong or, you know, what's this position? I don't understand it. Like that'll that'll make me take a step back and I'll sit down and listen. But frankly, a lot of this hate comes from people that don't know their asshole from their elbow and are just parroting words that they read somewhere. and They, they don't really understand all the intricacies and the nuances and how one decision leads to another. So I don't really care what they say. I don't know. Absolutely. I, um, and I was pretty harsh there, I think, in, in my statements, because I, I would think the majority of the industry, like me, is very supportive of my positions and the work that I've done, right? And obviously, You're our board member. I mean, if you were that bad, you wouldn't be our board member, Tom. I can yeah, oh, that. absolutely. I guess just my point is, is that you just get into that competitive aspect of the business where, you know, just people try to find ways in which to, I, I, I think better way to put it is that some people are get so hung up on the business aspect of things they end up doing their resource a disfavor right they get too hung up on saying that guide is you know pretty high profile in the sense that he's doing all this policy stuff i don't like it so i'm not going to advocate for those positions and that that is just i have i have trouble with that because you know for those of us who make our living off the resource i believe we all have an obligation to be stewards of the resource right we all have an obligation for the future of this resource so our kids can be fishing guides if they want to and i mean and, right? and just to be you know just to be clear on it tom i think you know it's important to emphasize you know you're not somebody who lets every fish they go you know every fish they catch go you know you have you have folks who who want it you know who want to harvest some fish you know you're not you're not somebody who's you know a zero harvest you're a user of the resource right and i think you know that is an incompatible with your position and i think that's an important you know an important point to make too because folks often want to kind of paint 
paint individuals in a very broad brushstroke, and that kind of does a disservice both to you, but also to the resource in the in the management, right? Now, Tom, Tom and I share Traeger recipes. Tom and I, Tom and I text each other Traeger fish recipes all the time. Like literally, don't even kid yourself. Tom kills more stuff. Like he he hunts turkey, he hunts ducks, he hunts deer. He's got a freaking house full of dogs. So he hunts. He texted me the other day. He said he texted me the other day. He was training his bird dog in a field. And he texted me because he was able to turn his trigger on. Five miles away from his house, from a field. And he was just like, you know, it was like an old guy conversation where you're like, I never thought I'd live to see this. <laughs> but I just turned my grill on while I was five miles away training my dogs. So, um tom tom is not a tom is not a i don't think i don't think i even label him as a catch and release guy certainly not as much as like our striper guides are primarily striper guides in the northeast um i mean you know those group are kind of hard to throw back when they're legal and in season i mean well it's just a different kind of fishery you know particularly when you're bottom fishing you know you know, you kind of have an obligation to keep fish to a degree, in my opinion, because, you know, you're harvesting fish, they're from deep water, you have a high amount of barotrauma. That doesn't really compare to a lot of inshore fisheries. I mean, personally, I don't like to keep red drum. I do keep them. I do have customers that keep them. I have no problem with it, as long as we're, you know, not being wasteful. Um, there's nothing wrong with keeping a couple fresh fish for dinner or keeping a small meal, which is kind of kind of how I go with a lot of things. But yeah, you know, I appreciate you bringing that up, Willie. It's important to note that, you know, we can't, we can't, it's important that we don't put broad brush strokes on a lot of, a lot of fishing guys because a lot of us use the resource in very many in very different ways and 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 it's also important to point out that a lot of the catch and release fishermen we do have an impact you know obviously we have an impact as well with our discards I mean, even with the best ability as we can to throw those back as healthy as possible so right so yeah no I, I i couldn't agree more and i'm you know glad glad that we touched on that um and i i also just want to touch on you know we're kind of talking pretty generally right we're talking about you know you, obviously you've been involved in in these management discussions for the for the better part of 20 years and thinking right now thinking about your role in north carolina thinking about your you know your awareness and involvement at the at the regional council level kind of what's what's front of mind for you right now you know what are you really involved with concerned about when it comes to when it comes to management so you, you get, we got we to gotta break it down. I mean, you know, obviously that's a hard question to answer briefly, but um, the first issue I have is state and interstate management is a pretty giant failure, right? I mean, North Carolina, we have some good fisheries that we've managed well. Redfish in particular is one that we've done a pretty good job with so far forward. But a lot of our other fisheries... Southern flounder, striped bass, we are, we are not managed well. And we're very similar to the ASMSC. Now, people will criticize me for that statement. They say, well, why are you involved within the system if you think it's a failure? Well, I also believe that you can't change things from the outside. You've got to do the same things, right? You've got to do the best job that you can. But I'm willing to admit when we see major failures, right? So I think in general, just the decline in state and interstate managed fisheries is a massive concern. My other major concern is let's take a look at Magnuson Stevens. I think it's an overwhelming success for the most part. Most of our federal fisheries, um, and I thought we'll throw HMS in there as well, are in really good shape. I mean, the data doesn't lie. And when we look at some of these, you know, offshore grouper snapper species that grow really slowly and have high amounts of mortality and harvest, if we can manage those effectively, I think we can manage some of these fast growing inshore fisheries 
much better than we do currently. So to put it in a nutshell, I think it's the disparity between state and federal fisheries, which are a huge concern for me, right? And trying to find something that, you know, again, going back to healthy fisheries, take care of their fishermen. We, we need to do better on, and we need to stop forgetting about, uh, and not, not that we don't here, that's one reason why we all work together so well is because we understand that how, how, how troublesome the ASMSC management is. And, and that bleeds into a lot of different states, depending on which one you're talking about. In a nutshell, I mean, unless you want to get into particular species and stuff, I think that that's kind of one of my guiding philosophies there. Well, Tom, I'm, that's perfect. I just, I, I just want your reaction quick. How do you think Kobe are going to do now that the South Atlantic Council gave him up and now ASMFC has Kobe? Um, I am not planning on booking many Kobe trips going forward. How's that? How does that sound? Um, I, I am sure like striped bass, there will be elements in their core range where the fishing will be pretty decent. But my outlook is um, pretty, pretty damn bleak if you if you want to be pretty, pretty blunt about it. So I'm, I'm extremely, extremely concerned. And I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. So you know what? So, so, so to end things on a, you know, to, to, to kind of wrap things up on a, on a high note, Tom, you know, I think, you know, management, obviously, <laughs> you know, management has its challenges. It's easy to kind of, you know, get, get lost and, and kind of get, you know, disillusioned with what's going on. Let's kind of bring it back. You know, we're here, it's mid-May. You, you just got back to, you know, just got back to your, your kind of your home fishery. You know, what are you most excited about this year? You know, what, what fishery has been, you know, really been strong that you're most excited about, you know, bringing folks out to this year? Um, I am really excited about shallow water regulation. So when we have a hurricane, we have a big year class, right? And Hurricane Florence 2018 about, about wiped me out, right? It wiped this whole community out. They gave us a really big year class of three years old, those year upper slot fish. And Hurricane Dorian hit us two years ago. That gave us a massive year class. We got a lot of fish around. It's gonna be really, really good this summer. It's really good right now. It's gonna get better and better going in, going into the uh, going into the summer, right? Um, I'm also I'm I'm also excited to get out in the ocean some. You know, I've been doing a lot of inland stuff. You know, I'm really excited to do some bottom fishing. It's something I love. Um, we also have, uh, you know, down here, guys figured out how to daytime drop for swordfish. And, and personally, that's something I want to do my whole life myself. And I'm really looking forward to trying to get out there and do that uh, for my own benefit. It's, you know, just something that, you know, it's been a dream of mine since I was a little kid to catch a swordfish. I haven't done it on my own yet. So I'm looking forward to do that. Right. But, um, you know, and, and always, I'm always looking forward to the fall here. You know, it's, it's hard not to look forward to the fall salvador fishery. It's something that just, it's we've had some really really good years um and i and i i see no reason to believe that it's not going to continue to get more you know not, it, I, I i see no reason to believe it's not going to be any it's, it's good every year and you know it's just something i look forward to every year. you know get a hurricane and, different story, but, you know. and for the new england new englanders listening i think it's worth noting that the albies you have down there are kind of a different beast uh, i remember seeing a couple that were pushing 20 pounds and, uh, you know, these are not, these are not three to six pound fish for the most so there's, part. There's a reason why so many guys from New England come here to target them. I mean, we're, we're, we're catching them close to the beach um, from literally from the suds out to usually a mile is our range. They're on really big bait, big silver sides, big bay anchovies. We heck, we catch them on menhaden occasionally. So they're a little bit easier to throw a big fly to. Our average size is going to be eight to ten pounds, and we routinely catch them fifteen to twenty. Again, it just depends on when you're here. So, I mean, I've had guys fly fishermen catch multiple fish in that seventeen to nineteen pound range. Oh, I mean, I, and that's when you catch one that size, they're like a different species. I mean, 
they'll dump your reel you think you have a yellow fin on and so I, was, I was gonna say it's like a little black fin what's that it's like a black fin like a black fin that's right we, we do catch those inshore i've never heard of anybody catching one on a fly yet but you know they're becoming that's another fish that we, as the climate warms we're catching more and more of them inshore so um you know a lot more big black fin as, as, as random catches down here right so i'm not really talks about it. i have a bluefin tuna fisherman trolling in november december trolling a mile off the beach and catching 25 pound blackfin all the time no one really talks about it like, oh yeah i caught two of them today yeah i was actually sent a photo by somebody being like is this a small bluefin i think back in back in december and it was about a 20 it was a pretty good size blackfin it's probably 20 20 25 pounds and when i troll for bluefin um you know particularly i haven't done it for a couple of years but when i was doing it every year i catch one almost every other day Again, you're catching them on 80 and 130, so not much fun, but they do eat well. Well, it sounds like you got a you got a pretty good fishery down there for water dog guide service. And, um, you know, obviously anyone who you've compelled that's listened to this should probably take a chance, give you a call, and see uh, see if all this all these tall fishing tales you're telling us are true. Um, I don't know. I guess I, I did see the pictures from Willie, so I can't I can't tease you about that. Uh, but you know, Tom, I think we learned a lot. I, th- I appreciate your time doing this. Um, you know, and I, I, I always like the listeners to kind of take away something. If you want to take away anything, you know, anything from this episode, you know, be brave enough to stand up for the resource. And, uh, and if you want to catch, you know, a whole bunch of different species in a whole bunch of different ways, a lot of fish that you probably don't catch at home, give Tom a call. He'd love to take you out, especially in that new 28. Thanks guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it.